Hello and welcome back to the Good Samaritan HealthCast. I'm your host, Katie Lovell, and I'm joined today by our Radiation Oncology Manager and Lung Screening Coordinator, Patty Inyart. Hello, how are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, thanks for asking. So today we're going to be talking about Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and that is the month of November. Correct. Okay, so why don't you tell us a little bit, first off, why don't you tell us about your position here at the hospital as the Lung Screening Coordinator and the Radiation Oncology Manager? Okay, so I've been with Good Samaritan about 33 years or so, mm-hmm. uh, a long time. Uh, most of my career has been on the treatment end in the radiation oncology end. Um, here about, oh, I don't know, eight years ago, we started this program, this lung screening program. And that's where my other title comes in, the lung screening coordinator. So um, statistically, uh, nationwide, when people are diagnosed with lung cancer. Generally, it's a later stage, uh, three out of four. Okay, that's what we found. And then there was this great big trial, clinical trial, which is another one of my titles. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, that went on that included about 55,000 people that were at high risk of developing lung cancer. And what we found from the trial is that those that had screening had a 20% decrease in risk of mortality. Wow. Which is so significant, they actually stopped the trial early. Okay, so because of that, lung screening programs were born across the United States. And with that, we are seeing an impact in those initial numbers that I just talked about. So rather than three out of four people uh, being diagnosed at a later stage, here at Good Sam, we're starting to see a kind of a 50-50 split. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so we're seeing a lot more people with early stage lung cancer. And it's never great, you know, you hear that word, that's horrible. Yeah. However, most people don't understand that lung cancer itself can be very curable, especially if it's found early. It's just that people traditionally had not heard that people are diagnosed early with lung cancer, had no idea. Yeah. And now we are, we are doing that. And with my other role in radiation oncology, we we treat people who have lung cancer um, that are unable to have surgery as their first means of of treatment, these early stages. And uh, we do uh, stereotactic body radiation on these people. They come five times and they can get cure. Um, Of course, surgery is number one choice. But if you can't for some reason, maybe your uh, pulmonary status isn't such that they want to put you under anesthesia, we have those choices available for our community right here at home at Good Sam. So as far as screening goes, I know that screening is a big thing. I mean, it comes with uh, prostate screening, it comes with mammogram screening. So how often should someone be screened for lung cancer and when does it start? Yeah, I love that we're talking about this. Not only that it is November, you know, Lung Cancer Awareness Month, but that uh, because of that, so many people don't even know, you know, that there is screening available. Mm -hmm. And sadly, that is true. not to take away from these other things that that get attention, you know, like colorectal cancer, you know, breast cancer, those are super important too. And I'm glad that people are aware uh, that that how important that is to be screened. But unfortunately, lung cancer is like the um, ugly stepchild that no Mm. one wants to hear about. And uh, I I just attended a meeting not very long ago uh, where there was a lot of focus on the stigma attached to lung cancer screening because people that get lung cancer, they they really are stigmatized 
because there's that perception that they did this to themselves. Yeah. And and we're just at Good Sam, we're just not in that business. That that's not who we are. We're we're not about that at all. We are about giving people the tools they need to to live a strong, healthy life. And that includes screening. So you were asking me, you know, what about screening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when we talk about screening, what we're talking about is a annual CAT scan of the chest. Okay, we call it low dose CT screening. Um, that means that it's a CAT scan like maybe some people have already had where they lay on a table with their arms above their head and they go through a little donut and hold their breath intermittently. But it's done at a, at a significantly lower dose. And, and that's fine because people that are being screened are not symptomatic. Okay, this is a screening test. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can get the information that we need uh, without giving that full diagnostic radiation dose. So. so is it similar to how, I know that people who maybe have like a history of breast cancer in their family, so they would be at a higher risk maybe. Is that true yeah. of lung cancer? So there are certain risk factors, correct. And people must qualify to be screened. Okay. okay. It's not like, oh, I heard this. I'll get screened. It's not like that at all. Um, Screening for lung cancer is screening for people who are at higher risk of developing lung cancer. And there are criteria. Okay, right now the criteria is um, someone who has been or is a, a person who has smoked cigarettes over a period of time. So when I say the, the criteria is 20 pack years, well, what does that mean? That means that a person has smoked a pack of cigarettes uh, every day for the past 20 years, okay? Or it could be two packs a day for the past 10 years. Wow. You know, so it's 20 pack, 20 pack year, uh, which really isn't a lot um, considering, you know, when you are addicted to nicotine, you know, that you crave that and people smoke a pack. That's not uncommon at all. And uh, also not having symptoms. And what I mean by that is the person is not coughing up blood. They're not suddenly having lost a lot of weight for no reason. They're not taking an antibiotic because they have an active lung infection. Okay, those are all symptomatic things that we'd want to, especially the antibiotic thing. We'd let them finish that course and then come back when they're not symptomatic, you know. And also, we also include um, not having a CT of the chest, a diagnostic CT of the chest, anytime recently, because it's the same test. Okay. So let's say you hit all those risk factors Mm -hmm. and you fall under that category that you need to be screened. How often do you need to be screened once you hit all those risk factors? So we screen people every year. Okay. Just like a a lot of other screening tools, like uh, mammograms, like colonoscopy every an interval of time for us it's a year and uh, what happens is um, it's not uncommon for someone who has smoked heavily for a a long time to have changes in their lungs Uh, even people who have had certain lung infections that are non-smokers have changes in their lungs it happens people have had COVID Um, changes in the lung um, generally are seen and they're generally benign just a collection of of tissue in the lung from scarring from whatever disease interaction that a person has had. That's that's common. Um, However, seeing those uh, collections of of tissue that uh, gather, uh, we call those pulmonary nodules, 
again, they're very, very common in smokers. 99% of smokers have these. Wow. Very, very common. And again, you can have them and you're not a smoker too from any kind of disease interaction that your lungs have experienced. However, uh, pulmonary nodules are what we are watching. They can change over time. And when we start seeing a change, the radiologist who has special training in reading um, x-rays, they, they know what they're looking at and they can compare these tests and having the knowledge of what is abnormal or irregular, they can say, here's something we maybe want to look a little closer at. And uh, that's when, if there's something unusual, that's when we're, we're seeing those early stages. I mean, that's just totally unheard of 10 years ago. Wow. So how, okay, so someone has all these risk factors. They might have these symptoms coming up. They would they would go to their primary care doctor and yeah, tell them so, about that? Yeah, they would need to be without any kind of symptoms, correct? And uh, it's really important, we call it a shared decision-making visit. Uh, it's really important to talk to your provider, whether it be you know your nurse practitioner, your physician's assistant, your physician, whoever you see for your primary care, mm -hmm. and have this conversation. And uh, in this conversation, you people would say things like, well, I heard about this, is this something? Or maybe your physician would say, you know, you've been a heavy smoker, we, we offer this. And in that conversation then, the two people, the provider and the person, would make a educated decision. Is this for me? Is this not for me? And then the patient has the uh, ability then to uh, talk to their provider about, you know, well, what happens if we find something? You know, what would we do? So then that's the next question, I'm assuming. What do you do when you see Yeah, that was that, my next uh, question. That looks uh, abnormal, but, but maybe, you know, doesn't go, oh, that's cancer. What, what do you do? So there are different uh, uh, categories in the testing. And depending upon the way the nodule uh, is shaped, its size, um, the way it's acting, um, the radiologist will give it a, a score. Okay. And sometimes that would require the patient to have a follow-up low-dose CT. So it's another low-dose low scan, and it would be an interval before the 12-month period, okay? So this would happen at maybe six months or maybe three months, just depending, whatever the recommendation is from the radiologist and the way, what they see on the scan, on the, uh, the way the uh, pulmonary nodule looks. And again, that happens. That's the whole point is if there is something that looks irregular, we'll check it out, you know, and um, you think, oh, golly, you know, I, I don't want to just have all these tests all the time. But uh, that's the reason we're finding the cancer early mm -hmm. is we're following it appropriately. Yeah. And many, many, most, most of the of these tests are just, okay, we'll see you in a year. Okay. that That's by far the majority. Most people are not coming back for interval tests. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about how three out of four people before this screening came about were usually caught in the later stages of lung cancer. So how many people do you think are affected by lung cancer? Is it um, a pretty common cancer? It, it is. It's the number one um, killer. Wow. Men and women. Wow. Yeah. It kills more people than breast cancer, colon cancer, and like pancreatic cancer combined. Wow. So that's why it's so important. And again, you know, as a healthcare giver, uh, 
for me, it's so frustrating. And, and it makes me really sad that, uh, again, with the stigma, you know, uh, people, you know, 50 years ago, they did not know that nicotine was addictive. They had no idea. It was cool to smoke cigarettes. Even the commercials. Oh, my, oh gosh. my goodness. Certainly. And uh, to think that people went, you know what, I'm going to smoke and, and I'm hoping that I get cancer later on. No one is doing that. Yeah. Okay? We, especially because my background is oncology, these people, you know, are our neighbors, our brothers, sisters, our friends, you know, our community. And it is terrible to be diagnosed with this disease. And we need to invest in making people people feel comfortable to ask about uh, health screenings and to talk about health screenings Mm -hmm. and to not put lung cancer screening in a different category than other screening. That is not okay. Yeah. You know, we want everyone to get the, the help and the care that they need. And I think that's our business here at Good Sam. I think we're really good at that. Yeah. I think that even like the stigma with that and the, just the tolerance that people have, because even people who do smoke, I mean, now they're probably more educated on the fact that they might be at a higher risk for lung cancer. But nicotine is so addictive. Uh, I just I did a Facebook live the other day with our respiratory therapist, Tammy Howell, and she talked about how in her experience she had had patients who had tried harder drugs and they felt that nicotine was more addictive than that. Yeah, that's a true statement. And uh, again, I I feel like we are on the cusp of uh, breaking through uh, that stigma and and we have to work together to 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 move past that. And again, I I can't be more proud of our organization, our people like Tammy that work in uh, respiratory and and my people in uh, in oncology and not just in radiation oncology with whom I work you know, closely, but our, our med- medical oncology team and Dr. Gephardt, our radiation oncologist, um, we we will give you the help that you need. If someone has questions about this, you know, please call me. Uh, my phone number is 812-885-3638. I'm happy to talk to anybody that has any questions um, and whatever we can do to, you know, get the word out. Yeah, absolutely. I know that whenever I was in high school that there was a really big surge on um, commercials as far as like the Mm -hmm. quit. They wanted wanted my generation to be one of the first generations that could be like 100% no smoking. And then there was vaping and juuling that came out. So do you feel like in your experience, have you seen an uptick in maybe younger people coming in or is it an older generation? To me, this is a two part question. So the campaign against smoking mm-hmm. was almost uh, too good <laughs> uh, because that was full on. And because of that, you know, no bars were going to take this on. That's when people developed less tolerance mm. because of that campaign. Now, that was an unexpected side effect. Of yeah. That, uh, unintended. And, uh, you know, that's fine that, you know, people went home and went, this is terrible. You've got to stop this. You know, that's that's okay because it's because you care about that person that you want them to stop. Yeah. But we have to remember it's because we care about that person that we don't want to treat them like they're some kind of pariah because they have this disease. Yeah. So so there's that. And as far as the vaping goes, um, 
I always tell people this, lungs were meant to breathe air, period. That's what they were developed for. That's why we have them. Yeah. So anything you're putting in your lungs that is not air is most likely unhealthy. I mean, there are people that I, I mean, I knew them from college. They're my college friends and um, they have trouble breathing. They have trouble going up the stairs uh, for an extended period of time. That was another thing when that, uh, that push first came out. I mean, I remember thinking, well, here's an alternative. This may be, this may be good. And I'm sure that's what most people thought. I think that's, it's that it was safe because, you know, it was basically air. Uh, it was marketed as that. It truly felt that way. I don't know if that was intended either, but it felt that way. Um, so, you know, there, there again, you know, we, we really need to look at what is what is factual. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes there, when things are new, we don't we don't have all the facts. True, but as far as uh, cigarettes go, we, we have a lot of facts on that. So yeah. we know that that is dangerous and. Uh, uh, smoking over a long period of time is dangerous too. And you know, when I was talking about criteria, I said either uh, currently a heavy smoker or has been. So when I say have been, I mean uh, you're still considered high risk if you've quit even in the last 15 years. Wow. So that you're still qualified for mm-hmm. screening. So that's the thing about cigarettes. And uh, also, and Tammy uh, probably talked about this a little bit. People think, well, I've done that, you know, I'm, why quit now? I mean, you just said that, you know, my risk is like this, so I've been smoking for, you know, 40 years. Why quit? Uh, but there truly are um, real biological changes that happen from quitting even right away. I mean, soon, within even a day, sometimes you can see increase in uh uh, breathing. Uh, sometimes in a week, you know, maybe your red blood cells have increased. Things that you don't realize, you know, uh, and over a long period of time, you can start feeling a million times better. I mean, you can talk to anybody who was, who's quit and they'll say, my word, I had no idea you yeah. know, that I could feel differently. So it, it's never too late to quit. And please, um, quitting and failing, you're, you're still quitting. Yeah. Okay, that is quitting. No one, almost no one, succeeds 100% the first time because nicotine is so addictive and it is so hard to quit. But you are doing something so important when you try. And that is part of quitting. So that's super important to remember that, you know, that being like, I can never do that or I've tried and it doesn't work. You're doing something. You're doing something good. So my grandma smoked for 55 years and she had lung cancer. She passed away from lung cancer. Um, And she originally had went to the doctor because she had pneumonia and they found the mass in her lungs. And, you know, her quality of life, because as soon as she found out that she had lung cancer, she stopped. I think that that was a really big wake up call for her. And while her quality of life probably wasn't, I mean, obviously she was dealing with cancer. It wasn't the best, but... As far as me and my family, it was so hard as non-smokers, I feel like, to uh, kind of almost be around her and enjoy our time with her when she was smoking or her house smelled like smoke. And I mean, I I know that we're talking about tolerance, but it is hard sometimes to be in that constant uh, smoke-filled room whenever you're not a smoker. So her quitting 
I'm very thankful for that because even though she did have cancer and she did unfortunately pass away, we got to spend that time with her. Uh, and I mean, we would have spent our time with her either way, but it was just, it, I'm very appreciative of that. Yeah, I will tell you, uh, it's very common for me to hear from people like in the public, like if I'm at a community event or whatever, and they'll say, I already quit. And I can tell you by far the most common reason that people give me is their grandkids. Mm -hmm. They say, you know, as soon as I got this one, I went, what am I doing? Yeah, I want to be around for these people. Yeah, You know, they've changed my life. And uh, so it, that is a big motivator for a lot of people is to uh, think about their health in general whenever their grandkids arrive. But, but certainly um, do it for yourself. Please consider doing it for yourself because you're worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on to Thanks the podcast. Thanks for having me. I love yes. to talk about this. It's yeah. a, a passion for me. I think it's really important for us at Good Sam as well. And uh, I think it's great that we're putting a spotlight on something so important. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So if someone wants to quit, obviously we're talking about how good it would be even if you just make that effort. Are there resources at Good Samaritan? Yes, yes. I'm sure Tammy probably mentioned it too. I think their number is 885-3215, I believe. Okay. But you can always call and ask for respiratory therapy okay. and, uh, for their, 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 their quit smoking campaign. Yeah. And then there's the Indiana Quit Line as yeah. well. Um, which is free. All of this is free. And uh, any questions about screening, you know, call me 3638. I'm happy to help anytime. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. And thank you to everyone who is listening. And we will talk to you next time. 